It's Sunday, September 20th, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. P&P is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, the 2020 Major League Baseball playoffs will be played in the bubbles of Los Angeles, San Diego, and Dallas and Houston. Dan McNeil is sent packing. Has Chicago Radio heard the last of him? We'll react to Joe Posnanski's choice for number three of his 60 greatest moments. The Wilpons have agreed to sell the Mets to Steve Cohen, but J-Rod is waiting in the wings. Albert Pujols just passed Willie Mays on the career home run list. Can he reach 700 dingers? The Cubs had an interesting week full of drone delays and no hitters, and our popcorn segment is on the 1947 classic, The Third Man. Tom, how are you doing? I am doing very well this morning. How about yourself? I'm, I'm a little, you know, I'm, I'm well rested. We'll put it that way. I've just had a nice long sleep. So, uh, so you're like Nixon then? Yeah, kind of like Nixon. So, you know, before we get into uh, kind of the more fun stuff, I think uh, the show would like to acknowledge the passing of a giant in the legal profession. And we're talking about uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg of the, uh, of the uh, Supreme Court of the United States. And, um, you know, I don't know if you're a liberal or a conservative, but uh, whatever you are politically, I think you have to acknowledge her contributions and the depth of uh, just what she has contributed to this country. So uh, she will be missed. There's no, there's no doubt. She, you know, obviously one of, and she's being called now one of the, the greatest uh, justices and jurists that the country's ever produced, um, extremely long and illustrious career. But this kind of uh, is a perfect example of why uh, when it comes to presidential elections, that it's not a joke, no. that you take it seriously. And you don't elect amateurs. Because yeah. when you do that, the repercussions, because what's going to happen, I've kind of done the math, nothing can stop the Republicans from seat, from seating this. It's going to happen. Get yeah. used to it. There's nothing the Democrats can do. If you look at uh, all the justices that have been elected over the last 100 years, the longest it's taken anybody which was Clarence Thomas, was 101 days. If you do the math, that's well before January 20th. There is nothing the Democrats can do. And the repercussions of this, the Democrats very well may, if they win the presidency and they win the Senate, um, add more justices to the Supreme Court. That's a way to kind of fix this, this issue. But it doesn't take away from the fact that you don't hire amateur politicians to become presidents or senators even for that matter. I've seen it happen with senators where people are, you know, wives of people have been spouses. It's just, you have to take this stuff seriously because what's about to happen will take 20 to 30 years to undo. I'm just telling you right now. It will. it will. You're absolutely right. So, you know, I don't want to go on too much further unless you have something to add. How's your no, fantasy no, no. football team doing? I'm doing really well, man. I, I got a good team. I, you know, I really prior, I prioritize depth at running back and, uh, you know, it's which you should, game. which you should. But yeah. And this, but this year I was really able to do it, you know, in a way that uh, I think is going to make a lot of sense. I got Derek Henry, you know, I've got, uh, 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 what's his name? Montgomery from the bears. And I got this kid from San Diego, uh, Kelly, Jake Kelly. And uh, he's, you know, Joshua Kelly. And I'm really liking the way my team's looking. You know, I don't want to put too much stock into the projections, but uh, I'm a heavy favorite this week, and uh, I'm looking good. All I can tell you is, you know, I ran a fantasy football league for many, many years. And the one thing is, is that at the beginning of the season, 
I've seen, you know, hope springs eternal. You yeah, think you right. have this great team, but it's really about the last three weeks of your season as you either enter your play, playoffs, um, uh, if you're trying to win a division, or to win the championship, obviously, whatever that week is, if it's week 16, typically in fantasy football. It used to be week 17, but they they changed it because all the players were sitting in week 17. But you really need to look at your team's opponents for – I would say the 14th and 15th, 16th week of the season to see, you know, who's those defenses that you're playing and start making free agent moves that would, you know, fix kind of counter that. Yeah, that's right. All right. right. Well, uh, with you here to consult me, with you here to advise me. You're in big trouble. (laughs) You don't have a chance. Exactly. Now, now the the, the plane has hit the side of the mountain. (laughs) Now we've seen um, some, some, Local bars and restaurants closed yeah, to, uh, to the COVID back, uh, uh, virus. And the one I want to bring up is uh, uh, South Fort Lanes yes, yeah. south, on South Fort Avenue, just north of Belmont. I used to live right there. I used to live right. a couple blocks away at Belmont and School or Belmont. And, uh, and you know, I just, I'm going to miss that place, although I think people are making a bigger deal out of that. There are some other ones that have really, uh, we've lost that are kind of going to stab me in the heart a little bit. Yeah, you know, up so far, um, just to mention a few big, big names. It's, it's actually a tragedy. What they're saying is, uh, in my former uh, work, I was very closely tied to the Illinois Restaurant Association, as well as a lot of local Chicago restaurant owners um, right. I, I befriended. And so it's a tragedy because they're projecting 34 to 35% of all Chicago bars and restaurants will not make it through COVID. Now we talked earlier about our favorite old bar, Cody's already closing. Cody's wouldn't have made it either, in my opinion, because- Cody's closed before the pandemic. And not just that, but it turns out like their backyard was not completely licensed as it turned out. I read somewhere where it was like, it was not like a true cafe. And and, and he, maybe he could have fixed it. The point I'm trying to make is we're losing Blackbird, California Clipper, and I don't know whether you're familiar with Glenn Falstrom, but Glenn Falstrom owns Falstrom's uh, Fresh Fish. He used to own a place called Glenn's, which is one of the great restaurants in the Edgewater uh, area. Uh, One of the Francesca's is gone. Gino's East in LaSalle is closing. Guthrie's Tavern, which is a place I was... Uh, I've been I've been at many many times. Link's Tap Room in Wicker Park, Jerry's Grill, which is a greasy spoon on Western, um, and finally Southport Lanes. And what I wanted to say about Southport Lanes was, you know, I actually bowled there with Janet Smason. I think even before you know, way back in the day. This is a hundred year old place that um, I believe that when you know that space is still that space. Someone's going to take over that space. That, oh, no, I, I think you're going to see new generations of these bars and restaurants. But I think it's just kind of sad. This is one of the little ancillary um, uh, things that occurred uh, post-COVID that I think we're going to have to deal with for a while. It's always been great living in Chicago. You want Filipino? There's a restaurant right within almost walking distance. You want a certain type of niche Asian food, there it is. You want, a, you want a great steak, there it is. Those things are not going to be as plentiful as in the past. They'll come back because it, it you know, use 1918. Everything got better. It's just gonna take a long time. 
it is going to take a long time to get us back to sort of, you know, and a lot of these places are really cool. Uh, some of those places you mentioned, I had no idea they were closing. Yeah. Not that I'd been to them. In, in, in right. Life. But that's the reason. That's part of the reason. Part of the reason. So, but uh, all right. So let's get to, let's get to the peanuts. And yeah. uh, I want to begin with the, the, uh, the playoff baseball sort of schedule and plan. Yeah. And they're going to be playing in these neutral site bubbles. Uh, one's going to be in Los Angeles, San Diego, and the other's going to be in Houston, Arlington. And um, so nobody's going to have a home field advantage because the, it's the American League that's going to be playing in L.A. and San Diego, and the National League will be playing in Texas. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that this is going to be in uh, – the National League will be at Globe Life Stadium in Arlington because it'll be a chance to really get to know – this great stadium, which I really haven't had a chance to yep. see. Yep. Well, uh, I talked about it briefly. I, I have been watching that stadium because there's a piece of it that's, that's exactly like Tiger Stadium is out in the outfield. And it's, it's like that park, you're closer to the action, like you were at the old Tiger Stadium, than any other park in the majors. Already it comes in as the, from as far as the actual distance goes. So that part is great. First of all, Kudos to baseball to waking up and doing what the NHL and the NBA has done so well. They're, they're moving towards their finals, and they haven't had any real issues with COVID. So congratulations, MLB. If you're not anything, you are adapting. And, and, and the, what we've learned in the course of this season is you have been willing to make the kind of tough decisions on the fly, and it's easy to do when you don't have any butts in the seats you can you're not really rearranging anything that's why I don't understand why half the games were not day games what difference does it make if there's no fans there <clears throat> what you know I know that there's tv revenue to be, be considered but I still think you know there's a lot of people at home you, you know you got all these games at night have a couple of them during the day so that being said ultimately what scares me a little is the first the wild card series which is a three-game series and then the next two um, series to get to the World Series will all be played with no days off. Yeah, I love that. All, I, I, which forces yeah. the managers to, if you think you're going to use a three-man rotation, well, hell, you better have Tom Seaver on your team because otherwise it's not going to happen. No, they're going to have to go for, with, with a four-man rotation. They may even have to go with a five-man rotation with right. no days off, depending on how things go. I think this is really – I mean, the only way you're going to get a day off – is if you win your series early, you know. Yep, yep, yep. You win in two games, or if you win it in three games for a five-game series, that's, that's right. when you're going to get some days off. So uh, you know, it, it it'll be really interesting to see what happens. And I think this kind of takes us back to the way playoff baseball used to be, where the games would happen more quickly. You'd have, you know, you'd have a day off perhaps every now and then to travel, but they would play these games consecutively, and and they just seem to get them in more quickly. And I, I like it. I like that's the well, one aspect of this I really like. I do too. You know, I, I think, you know, the more I think about it, this whole seven inning thing is going to go away. I think there's other things that they've implemented for this season that once we have a full schedule, those things will go away, which is great because it's kind of horrific to think of if this is going to be baseball in the future, it's kind of scary. It's not. So no, you're I, right. I, I don't want to see forward. this kind of expanded playoff. Yeah. Right, right. Or, or bubble. This is the first time since World War II, 44, when the Browns played the Cardinals. St. Louis played St. Louis, that it, and they shared that stadium. 
right. So that's the only time in baseball history that there's been a World Series at the same park. This will yeah. be, this will be the second time. So um, we're in uncharted waters. I'm just I happy could, to have baseball. I could get behind playing the World Series at a neutral site, especially especially if the home teams are, are are like Chicago or New York and the weather's really cold. I could get behind playing the World Series someplace warm. You know. Yeah, but, you know, I just got to tell you, as a Detroiter. It, the World Series means so much to the economy there. Um, and, and less here in Chicago, where we're just, we're not as dependent on that stuff. It helps us, make no mistake about it. It helps every town. That's the part. Unless there was some type of revenue share with the, with the, the vendors of the towns that, that go to the World Series, because that means so much to the commerce of the town. I, I, I don't know about that. I, I understand what you're saying from an yeah. altruistic point of view, but it, I guess if I was a guy selling t-shirts outside the stadium i'd be like hey what about me <laughs> yeah yeah you're absolutely right and what let's let's talk about this gas bag dan mcneil dan mcneil yeah well he the score wscr here in chicago um sent dan mcneil packing and if you don't know who dan mcneil is he is the drive time afternoon uh radio broadcaster for the biggest sports talk radio station in Chicago. And um, one of the original score um, guys. One of the original score voices going back to their inception, which is the, way back in the 1990s. Early 90s, yes. Early 90s, you know. And, you know, um, and, and we're talking about a guy who has been given second chance after second chance after second chance. I mean, he said some things, you know, he, he, he has distinguished himself by sort of getting in trouble with management uh, you know, arguing about his contract, not getting along with his uh, co-hosts. Um, he's had some drug and alcohol problems. Um, he was recently selling cars before the score brought him back. And most recently, what got him fired this time was that he made a, an inappropriate tweet about, uh, about a Monday night football sideline reporter. And he implied that maybe she should have been uh, giving out awards at the uh, adult video awards, you know, at the EVN, yeah. adult video yeah. news awards. And uh, it just, <laughs> it was in bad form. He deleted the tweet, but by then it was too late. But I guess my question to you, Tom, is this guy is 59 years old. Yeah. We're the last of him? Yeah, we have. Yes, we have. This is, this is a career ender. As, as Mr. Brennahan, uh, Tom Brennahan learned, uh, uh, Brenneman, it, it, it nowadays in the woke me too era the words do matter and they can be fatal to your career and so i have to just say i'm not an i'm not a fair observer in this case because i despise dan mcneil he is the reason he is the single reason why when, when we talked about starting this whole podcast i said i don't like sports talk i don't like i don't like it as a genre and the reason why i don't like it is because of dan mcneil he, his incendiary comments over the years, and he could get away with it because he had ratings. Now, if you check, they were like 22nd in the, in the ratings, if you read the rest of that article that uh, you sent me. Uh, and so it wasn't like he was, it, it, he wasn't Howard Stern making really inappropriate comments like Stern did, but Stern had the number one, you know, uh, audience in the country. McNeil doesn't have that because no one gives a shit about what you think, Dan McNeil. Honestly, no one. And no one, there's, there's your sycophants out there might be disappointed. But I think it's, 
like you said, he's had 19 second chances. Really go yeah. away. In fact, go sell me a car. <laughs> wow. You know, I, 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 I don't dislike Dan McNeil as much as you do. I mean, I would, you know, and I, I would listen to him on my, uh, you know, my drive home, on my commute home, and he's okay. I'll, Get an I'll, audible book, young man. I know, I know. But I will say that he uh, knows a lot about Chicago sports. He was there for a lot of things. He has a great memory. Right. So do you. So do I. So so does a lot of guys. A million guys have that. I mean, I just, you know what I'm saying? I don't see the distinction of the old fat white guy telling everybody what the world should be. Kind of like what I'm doing right now. (laughs) (laughs) You certainly drew a certain type of listener to that, to that station. Right. And I feel like uh, the score may be worried about how they're going to get those sort of uh, working class white guys. That, those double digit IQ guys. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> but we'll see how, we'll see what happens. And uh, I certainly will be, you, know, you get a lot of Cubs content on the score and that's why I would listen to them. So. Yeah. Well, bon voyage, Mr. McNeil, because bon I think your career is over. All right, so another guy did something that was kind of a jerk along with what Dan McNeil Dan McNeil did, and that yeah. is Josh Donaldson. And, you know, I, I've never seen anybody do what he did. He hits a home run against the White Sox, okay? Then he, as, he's, as he comes to home plate, he says something to the umpire and kicks dirt onto home plate because he's pissed off about some ball and strike calls earlier in the game, and that gets him ejected. You're 100% right. That's what um, I thought the first time I saw it. In my whole life, I've never seen anybody get ejected in a home run trot. Yeah. I've seen people get called out uh, where they, you know, they have to go back to third base or something like that because someone overran. I've seen some weird stuff like that. And we've all seen some plays at the plate that were prior to, to instant replay that were questionable. But I've never seen a player get thrown out in his home run trot. And, 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 and it was completely called for. I was like, Donaldson, if you, Donaldson who was jawing with this, this umpire um, two Molino. innings prior. Yeah, 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 yeah Molino. Um, and, and I think he was jawing as he turned third base. He was yelling at the umpire. And so by the time he approached the plate, he, you know, he was loaded to bear and he just started kicking dirt. I'm like, who do you think you are, Earl Weaver? What the hell are you doing, buddy? I mean... <laughs> But fortunately, the umpire yanked him right away. He's like, you're out of here. And I'm like, yeah, you, you got to go, dude. And you might get, lose a game or two. It didn't happen. But I thought that was really, really, Josh, you know, of all people, what are you doing? It, it's not a good look. And I realize we're all under a lot of pressure in this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. <laughs> yes. Twins are trying very hard to win their division against yeah. the White Sox. And, and they're struggling. They're struggling. All. And, you know, so there's a lot of pressure on them. But – you know, this is just, I mean, when I think of, of Josh Donaldson now, I'm going to think of this moment, and I'm yeah. going to think, what an answer. Right, right, exactly. It, it's kind of like the Alomar spitting thing. Like, I never really looked at him the same after he spit on that umpire. Yeah. I don't care how good Roberto was, Hall of Fame or not. He just, that, I always was like, dude, really? You had to spit on the umpire? What? what it's, it's like when Willie McCovey picked up that bat, like he was going to take it to Juan Marichal or whatever. No, it was Juan Marichal picked up the bat to take it to Johnny Roseboro. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Johnny Roseboro. Right, yeah. right. And it's like, dude, have you lost your mind? Have you? <laughs> um, 
so uh, our buddy Joe Paznanski, yeah, um, yes. writes an article. Um, and, and, why don't you tell us, what, it's this ongoing series. It's ongoing series, the 60 greatest moments in baseball history. And he's been doing one a week. And this week, he's up to number three. And he chose the Kirk Gibson home run against the A's in the 1988 World Series. Game one, probably the most improbable home run ever hit. It yeah. basically walked off game one for the Dodgers. And, and through that momentum, you know, uh, the, probably the worst team ever won the World Series. Right, on the, right. You know, uh, that, that team was terrible. And the and, A's were great. They won 104 games. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I've never, ever been a Dodgers fan, but I was totally pulling for them in that series because I think I hated the A's more. You know, but uh, but that was an unbelievable moment, and 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 I, I want to know what you thought of that because you were you are a Tigers fan, and yeah. Gibson with the Tigers for so long, right. and, and and it was just an unbelievably just I don't know it was a storybook moment, you know. Thinking about it, thinking back on it, I can't believe it happened. So you know? please indulge me here. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I've been waiting for this moment since we started this podcast. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was basically the same age as Gibson and kind of grew up with him and knew about him. He was a great high school player. He played, you know, he was like a lot of two sport guys. Uh, yeah. Like Dave Winfield was like this too. Winfield could maybe have played in the NBA. He was a great basketball player. So um, I had known that Gibby was going to be great. We, we were just, you know, over the moon when he was actually drafted by Detroit because he was a first, he, he could have went to the NFL. He chose to, to play baseball. Um, he went to Michigan State, right? Yeah, that's correct. He was an All-American flanker for Michigan State, uh, one of the fastest guys in the Big Ten. Um, and did he go to high school in the Detroit area? No, he went to like, um, uh, not Waterford. It wasn't in the Detroit area. It was in the outskirts of Detroit. So no, 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 no. Um, I can't remember where exactly where but he played. But still, the, still your you know, he's still a product. Yeah, that yeah, he's, he's our guy, man. He's like Pete Rose to Cincinnati, right? So um, so he comes to Detroit, and within, you know, a year or so, it becomes evident that Sparky saying that he was going to become the next Willie or uh, the next Mickey Mantle was kind of a joke. He was struggling mightily. Yeah. And so the first big game with him, and it was always after the seventh inning. For some odd reason, he really took his game to another level at the end of the game. And so there was a game where the Tigers played in Yankee Stadium. We were losing by three, uh, two runs in the in the top of the ninth. He hits a three-run homer. Not off of Gossage. And then in 84, he does hit a three-run homer in the World Series off of Gossage in the eighth inning. And so fast forward to 1988. I'm with a couple of the gyms, and we're at the Beachwood uh, Bar in Rogers Park. And I don't know if you remember the Beachwood. They used to have turtle races there. You, could, you would you remember it had like a window. It was probably 200 yards from Lake Michigan. It, really, it, it, was, called, it was called the Beachwood. It was a charming place. And so we, we were in there that night when he hit it, and we couldn't hear the announcer, which was obviously Vin Scully, but we were just look. Did that just happen? What what just happened there? Did he? You know, the, the the Dodgers were losing all along. So, fast forward about five years, we're at Cody's, and I'm talking to one of our friends, and I'm explaining to him how great Gibson was in the late innings, 
And of course it was a late inning and he was back on Detroit for his last run. And it, he was on his last legs and he did it again. He hit a yeah. home run of the night. I finally like, see, see what I'm saying? It, right there. And it, it, you know, so over probably five or six times he hit home runs like that, but none greater than that one in the world series. And for one of the very first times, Joe, I agree with you. This is one of baseball's top moments. It really is. It really is. And if you know anything about, I mean, there was a documentary on MLB Network about that home run, you know, where uh, Rob Reiner talks about it, how he makes love to his girlfriend after it aroused <laughs> him. You know what I mean? And yeah. all the little things, I mean, and how he's, you know, nobody thinks he's going to play. Both of his knees are just in terrible shape. He's in the, he's in the tunnel hitting balls off the tee, just, just, you know, grunting in agony with every swing and then you know he tells the clubhouse kid who runs over to Lasorda he says Tommy he says he's got one good swing left in him you know what I mean <laughs> it's like something out of a, of a novel like Roy Hobbs yeah exactly out of some cheap dime store novel <laughs> uh, you know but uh, but he he did it and I'll tell you man it was a great moment a tremendous moment if you were a Dodgers fan and uh, you know uh, so many so many writers have really written about that moment. And, and Poznanski writes about how he was driving home right. late at night. He had a three-hour drive from this college football game, I think Georgia Tech. And he got to listen. He got to pass the time listening to that game. Right. He got Jack Buck's call. He didn't yeah, get he the... Did. I don't believe what I just saw. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so speaking of Tigers um, or ex-Tigers, Justin Verlander um, is, um, for the first time in his whole illustrious Hall of Fame career, uh, has an arm injury. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, it, it, it had to happen, I guess, didn't it? You know, uh, and this is really bad for the Astros because they had him under contract, not just this year, but next year, too. I think $30 million they owe him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's something crazy like that, and they won't have him at all next year. I mean, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna finish his contract on the shelf, and uh, that really hurts the Astros, I think, long term. You know, well, next I think the interesting thing is Verlander is not retiring, so no. he's he says he wants to pitch into his 40s, and all I can tell you is if this Tommy John goes like some of the Tommy Johns I've seen lately, he could come back and win some ball games because I'm, all I'm telling you is the guys that have properly recovered from it, thank you, Darvish, are um, as good, if not better than when before, because basically they have a brand new tendon there. You know? right. right. They have a brand new tendon. And once they kind of build up, you know, the arm strength to go with the tendon, you know, they're, they're, they're as good as ever. And right. you know, don't, maybe, don't rule Verlander out. That's all I'm telling you, tell you right now. Maybe the Cubs will sign him in 2022, you know. Might be worth a flyer, you know. And, and honestly, as far as the Astros are concerned, it couldn't have happened to a better team. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry that Verlander is going to miss pitching and so on and so forth. But uh, but I'm not sorry for the Houston Astros and uh, that they'll be paying $30 million to a guy who's not going to pitch another inning for him. I, you know, whatever. Yeah, you know, I've got mixed feelings on Verlander. I'm a huge fan, but I also thought that during the whole uh, asterisk uh, cheating scandal that he basically turned the, you know, turned the other cheek to it. Well, I, he had that really awkward moment, you know, where guys from the Dodgers and guys from some of the other right. teams 
there at that banquet. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was, he was pretty embarrassed there. But uh, anyway. All right. So um, now the Wilpon family has now agreed to sell the New York Mets to Steve Cohen for a record $2.5 billion. Wow. Um, now, the, the, the board of owners, I guess, of Major League Baseball, they still have to vote on whether or not this deal can go through. And if by any chance that they vote against it, uh, J-Rod, <laughs> which uh, J-Lo and A-Rod are ready to match the offer that Cohen made. But I mean, $2.5 billion for a team. That well, the J-Rod offer was 2.3. So we're, yeah. we're talking about... And, 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 you know, um, Hank Greenberg's nephew or whatever is the guy that brokered the deal. Yes. Um, and um, Greenberg has a great saying, and he said he's never, ever, and it's true, he's never seen a team purchase that wasn't profitable five years down the line in, in the yeah. modern life that we, sports life that we live in. Doesn't matter what sport. And, and I think he's right. Um, it certainly <laughs> happened to the Cubs. <laughs> It is what happened to the Cubs, and I've seen it happen to other teams. And what did the Wilpons buy the team for? By some, they bought it for a pittance. You know yeah, what I mean? Right, right. Compared to what they're making, hundreds out. of millions. It wasn't billions, I don't yeah, think, or, or one billion or something like that. But yeah, but uh, but and 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 you know whatever. More power to them. I hope that that this this management team can sort of turn the team around and give the Mets fans, I think, the team that they deserve. But uh, boy, I mean, so the the J Rod offer was make the money back right away. The J-Rod offer, the, what I read into it was, I was very shocked. That was a legitimate offer. And basically, they, the, the hush is, uh, the next team that comes up, they'll buy that one. It's a serious, serious um, little uh, group of investors um, that have been vetted out, and they mean business. So J-Rod is not done, um, but he is done in this deal. And, and the, the other thing, too, is uh, Cohen, who has had some uh, – you know, he's been busted for insider trading and, and, and sexual harassment has run rampant in his, some of his firms. But he's worth, in my only $12 billion to, to spend that amount of money. That's a lot of money, Steve. Yeah. Uh, if you only have $12 billion and you're spending two and a half, yeah. it just seems like a lot. I think, can't can you get that to under a half a billion? <laughs> half a yard short of everything he has. I mean, that nearly mm -hmm. a third everything he has that's crazy that's but you want an owner like that i'm telling you even though the mets future is fraught with issues because of their contracts they got problems that they, they want to build like a uh, modern day oakland a's uh you know uh, analytic strong type of team on a lower budget it's going to take them a decade i think well you know they're not going to make that money back right away it'll be <laughs> It's going to be a while before they can allow, you know, asses in the seat. Right, right. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's going to, he's going to take it on the chin for a little while. But uh, I think he'll probably begin by replacing his general manager, Brody Van Wiegenen. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, but we'll see how it goes. Now, um, there's a player on the West Coast, a Mr. Albert Pujols. Yep. The man, the hombre. And he just the, the immortal, the immortal Albert Pujols. The immortal Albert Pujols, who just passed Willie Mays in career home runs. Now, um, I have a couple questions here. Who's going to be the next player to reach 600 home runs? And, it's it's uh, easy. Mike Trout. Yeah, yeah, probably. All right. And then how many more home runs are left for, for, for Pujols to acquire? Can Pujols get to 700? Can he 
move up on the list is what I'm asking. We'll know in the offseason because if he decides to come back next year, then you know that he means business because remember last year, I think he hit 30 home runs or close to it. Um, he still has home runs left in the bat. So if you were to, so I think he has 662 now. He's actually passed Mays. Yeah, uh, he, yeah, yeah, he passed. And I think um, A-Rod is next on the list, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's, that which with like 694 or something like that, I think he passes A-Rod, but then I think that he's going to fizz out. I think in an, the over-under on him is 700. I think he, I think he could do it. I, I, I no way. I, I'd say there's no chance he gets. But he's seven. still popping him though, man. He's got almost 15, and he had 30 last year. I don't know what you're saying. This year? Are you kidding me? He has 15 this year. Yeah, there's some number like that. Because uh, he hit two. He hit two the other day. He did hit two the other day to to his 661 and 662. But uh, oh man, I I don't. Uh, I, I I just see the thing is like when you think about Albert Pujols. You know, I think about what a great hitter he was with the Cardinals. And then just when he, when he signs with the Angels, what a decline, what a sharp decline he experienced. You know, he just isn't, he isn't even a tenth of the player he was in St. Louis. And I think Fangraphs did an, did an, did an analysis where there really has been, there, there are very few players who've experienced that kind of a decline. You know, I don't know. Okay, so I was completely wrong. He hit 23 last year, and he's hit six this year. See, you know, I should be in sales. <laughs> I should be in sales. Holy cow. Uh, that's not even close. But I still think, and you're right, it's probably unlikely that he's going to hit 700. But I think he potentially, if he comes back next year, he means business. That's all I got to say. I think I think uh, Madden's going to take him for a long road trip on that on that on that recreational vehicle. He's explain. going to the Barren Pines with him. Yeah, exactly. Just explain to him. Listen, <laughs> I need you to leave this team now because there's no way we're acquiring any pitching as long as we're on this team. Right. We're right. paying your contract. I, I I'm sorry, but but uh, you know he was he was the best hitter I ever saw. He was so tough on the Cubs. Yeah. You know, with the Cardinals. He just hit everything. But now well, he came out of the gate as strong as any player I've ever seen. Yeah. Because uh, that's when I was playing fantasy baseball. And let me tell you, within a week or two, you're like, who's this guy uh, on, on the Cardinals? Uh, that's how, uh, you know, he never really looked back after that. And the other thing, too, is I, I learned to really like Albert because he's such a benevolent guy with his time and his money. You know, he, he helps a lot of people out. Well, no, he, he has that charity for uh, Down syndrome, for kids with Down syndrome. But that's not just all. He, he, he's, he's helped a lot of people out, I mean, a lot of organ, you know, organizations. He's a very um, kind person. Uh, yeah. So. yeah. All right. So uh, I was listening to the White Sox Twins game the other day, and I heard yeah. a great line by Jason Benetti. The great the, Jason Benetti. The great Jason Benetti, exactly, which is now what we have to say when we, when we, when we mention him. We want to put the words "the great" in front of his name. That's right. But he was talking about uh, he was talking about the Twins. It was late in the game, and he says Minnesota has left fourteen men on base tonight. That's seven sets of Twins. You know, <laughs> I, just, uh, I loved it. It was he. If you live, if you watch Sox broadcast, and I try to every now and then, you know, he's really something. He's very good. 
Yeah, well, for years, I could not listen to Hawk Harrelson. So I, when my, my Tigers would play the Sox, I would do it with the sound off, or I would turn the radio uh, broadcast team on. And so it's kind of refreshing. Uh, Steve Stone, by the way, is maybe the most preeminent color guy in baseball, too. They've got a really good crew there. Um, I like the Cubs, but I like the Sox just as much as I like the Cubs as far as their announcing goes. Um, I just want to talk about the Twins for a second. Um, they, they're legitimate, first of all. They, they obviously clinched the playoff spot. The talk is, how long will they last in the playoffs? I, we both have a mutual friend um, who's a sometimes fan of the show who um, sends me private uh, messages when, when the Sox are doing well. Right. And when they're not doing well, I never hear from them. So basically, in the last 20 years, that's like 19 years and 11 months that I've not heard from him, and then a month yeah. that I have. <laughs> you know, it's really funny, too, because he does the same thing to me. He sends me text messages about the Sox and right. how clubs are, and I love it. I love it. Yeah. You know? And uh, We love you, Joe Side. We do, Joe. Joe, you're fantastic. And But what is their ceiling, realistically? I mean, I think – I mean, they, they're legit. They have the best record in baseball, don't they? Or if, if they don't, they're right there. Yeah, they're, they're, they're in the discussion um, at this point. I think that uh, – um, you know, the same problem that exists for the Sox that we, you and I talked about at the beginning of the year. If you remember, I picked two teams out of the blue. We, I, I can't forget who you picked, but I picked the Sox and I picked the Reds. Yeah. And the Reds have been a mixed bag, quite honestly. They don't have it, but the Sox could, they have a hitter's chance because they are so proficient with the bat, which is the exact opposite of the Cubs. The Cubs are terrible at this, but the Sox are so deadly one through nine at the plate. It overshadows the fact that their pitching staff is just, eh, it's, it's, just, a, it's just an okay pitching staff. Cubs, it's not nearly as good as the Cubs. Their starters aren't as good as this. They've got Giolito, and then it's like, see, see, you know, who Keuchel. else? They need Keuchel. They, they can't, I mean, Keuchel's right. on but yeah, Keuchel is hittable. He's got such a hittable face. I mean, he, and Keuchel did well when he was in there, when he yeah, wasn't yeah. Well, he's had some 500 success in his career. He's always yeah. been a 12 and 12 pitcher. Yeah. He's like the rich man's uh, uh, Hamill. But, you know, and again, I mean, if they score for him, they should do fine, you know, but, yeah. but that's the thing. Do they have enough starting pitching to go through, you know, what looks to be, uh, looks to be a meat grinder of a playoff? You know? Well, you know, are, is that the uh, – uh, when they get against a decent pitching staff in the American League, if they have to face Cleveland in a short series, short series I think they will lose. Yeah, they I, could. I, I mean, Cleveland mopped them up earlier. And, you know, yeah. the Cubs have had their way with the Indians. But, right, uh, right. But, but just talking about the Sox, how, what is the Sox how, how does it look for the Sox in the playoffs? My guess is maybe they get out of the first round, but they don't get out of the second round would be my guess. I had The matchups will have a lot to do with it, but I, I love, you know, I love watching Eloy Jimenez hit. You know, I think he's fantastic. Rob, Ro, Rover has been. Robert you know, is his name. Robert, Robert. Es como, como se pronuncia. Robert. That's how you say it. That's man. not what Jason Benetti says. Well, you know, I, I mean. Robert. But it's, but In it's fact, Robert. they call him Bob. Bob, yeah, no, I, I but, but, you know, he's. <laughs> He, I think, has the potential to be great. He's still very young, but but Jimenez is a wonderful hitter. 
But those aren't the guys that are, are really driving him now. It's Abreu and Carnacion. And Carnacion, what did I say? Every year he gets 30 home runs. And, but he, and, no, he hasn't been so good. It's been, it's been Abreu and it's been – Look at Carnacion. I think he had – you know, what did I just say? I, let me see. I'm going to say he's got 10 home runs at least. Um, all right, take a look. This will be interesting. While you Mr. keep talking. Mr. Head of Sales, let's, yeah. let's take a home <laughs> I don't think you're going to see 10 home runs. I'm going to guess – I'm not even looking. I'm going to guess six. Yeah, he has nine. He has nine. Okay, all right, all right, all right. So you were right. All right. So, but, by the way, that's 30 in a season. I'm just saying that's what he hits. That is 30 in a season. Yes, you were, you were right. And, you know, I, I, I'd like to see them do well. What I'd really like to see is the Cubs and the, and the, and the Sox in the World Series – I just wish that fans could go to it. That would have been yeah. amazing, you know. But well, we'll still have all the rioting. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, another quick mention. Let's move on to uh, Trent Grisham of the San Diego Padres. Pissed off the Dodgers because, God forbid, he should hit a home run off of Clayton Kershaw and stop. Pause for for I think a fraction of a second to admire what he just did. I mean, yeah. here he's a left-handed hitter. He yanks a curveball off of Kershaw into the into the bleachers, and and Dave Roberts, the manager of the Dodgers, has the gall to say, "Well, I'm a little pissed off about that." You know, yeah. deal with it, man. Deal with it. I, I agree. It, it, the Dodgers, man. Why are you guys so sensitive? I know. I know. They, they haven't been the same since they got cheated on. <laughs> I will say this about Grisham: he did. Like pause. Yes, he did. It what was it was it nothing. Wasn't, it wasn't anything like what's his name on uh, Petite Joey yeah. Bats. Yeah. <laughs> that the greatest the greatest bat flip of all time. You know? I guess if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but uh, you know what it reminds me of chin music. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I I just think it's so like again again the unwritten rules of baseball rear their ugly head some of them are ridiculous at this point oh i don't know I, I don't know what's going on now there was another home run that uh, definitely bears mentioning as a friend of the show bartolo Colon hit uh, a moonshot the patron saint of fat guys everywhere <laughs> he hit a moonshot in a, i guess what looked to me like a bar league softball game yeah yep. um you managed bar league softball yeah. team for years, would you want Bartolo Colon on your team? I don't know. I don't know, man. I got to tell you. I love Bartolo Colon, and I, I saw this video. By the way, he cranked it. And I was, you know, I remember, like, in the mid-'70s, some of the uh, old Tiger stars of the 60s went and played semi-pro softball. Some of these guys were yanking 70 home runs, you know. So right. I, I wouldn't be surprised. But the, my concern with Bartolo is where are you going to play on the field? That that's the issue. But maybe he's a great pitcher still. Who knows? I, I don't know. I don't know. I love the guy. Is he as good as Bob Selig? That's the question. <laughs> that's really the question. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But that's uh, you know, I, I would love you. Just just can you imagine hanging out with him at the bar afterwards? That God. part, yes, definitely, definitely. Stories to tell. No, he would be fantastic. I, I, you know, I just like the fact that he loves baseball so much that. That he, yeah, that is the love of the game. You, you didn't have to pay Bartolo. You really no, didn't. You didn't. You didn't. And I really wished. I was so hoping that somebody 
would have taken a chance on him. I mean, God, you don't think the Pittsburgh Pirates could have used him? Hey, he's still staying by his phone. You never know. (laughs) It it don't take much for him to get ready. All right, so now let's get to the Chicago Cubs, and I want to begin with the game from last week, from last Sunday. Yeah. And um, this was Alec Mills pitching. He's their fifth starter, and he pitched a no-hitter against the Milwaukee Brewers up at uh, Miller Park. And, you know, this is – I mean, it just shocked the world. This was the, this is the most unlikely no hitter, I think. Well, in a long time, there's been a there's been a couple. There's been uh, a couple, know. but since yeah. Philip Umber, I guess I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Philip Umber is a perfect example. He threw a perfect game, though. But and and, yeah. and and Umber threw harder than Mills did. You know, Mills was topping out at 91. I mean, and and it's just amazing that he was able to kind of keep that lineup. Uh, from 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 extracting a hit, he did walk three hitters, but man, I mean, this is a kid who was a walk on at his college. He had to beg them to let him pitch for him, and then he goes to the majors in uh, Kansas City. I think takes him in the twenty second round, right? You know, and he finds his way to the Cubs. You know, he had some arm trouble early on, and I think that helps him because he had his Tommy John surgery early in his career. So so he comes to the Cubs in two thousand seventeen. You know, Joe Madden has this nickname for him, Sir Alec. You know, Sir Alec. How you doing, yeah. Sir Alec? He's, he, he hangs on to the team this year. He's going to be their six-starter swing man. But then Quintana goes down, and then Chadwood goes down, and he finds himself in, in – in, in critical no-hitter against an intradivision rival, and that win probably guaranteed them a playoff spot. That was amazing. Yeah, all those things are true. Um, I started watching that game from about the fourth inning and then watched the rest of it. He basically did it with, like, shoe polish. I mean, the, 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 he doesn't have great stuff. He's, he's, like, uh, he's kind of like Kyle Hendricks if Hendricks was made in Taiwan, uh, kind of a, a pitcher. You know, he, he just doesn't he, – he doesn't have any one or two pitches that you're like, hey – like like when you watch when you watch uh, you pitch, you see a, a craftsman that actually can throw multiple. When he says he's got twelve pitches, I don't know whether he's got twelve pitches, but he's got seven or eight pitches for sure. You know this guy relies you know on guile and and the fact that he's been a walk on basically wherever he's been. Another guy that loves the game of baseball and it was just the most you know the most improbable of no hitters. However, I will make you the case that Johnny Vandermeer who threw back-to-back no-hitters, that's the only time it's ever happened, was very similar to this guy in the fact that he never did really anything before or after that. That was close. And I think Mills potentially could suffer from that. So, But kudos to him. It was great to watch. I I know that you've seen a no-hitter live more yes. than once or once? Twice. Well, one was taken away, the Andy Hawkins no-hitter. Right, right. But I've never seen a no-hitter live, so I'm, you know, I'm kind of jealous. I've seen a bunch on television but yeah. and the radio, too. But So, so congratulations that, to – Mills has that slow curve, you yes. know, which, and that, which makes his fastball look a lot faster. And that helps him. I mean, but he's never going to be – you know, he's never going to be what you might call a great pitcher, but he's certainly a useful pitcher to have on the staff, you know. No doubt, no doubt. And, you know, he's got – it's all about location. He still pitches very low, and as long as he continues to do that, anytime he throws the ball up high, it, they're going to get him swinging at it. So, um, again, it reminds me of the professor. Uh, and speaking of the professor, Kyle yes. Hendricks is on fire right now. 
He, he's actually – I'm surprised he hasn't come close to pitching a no-hitter. That's how well he's pitching, um, including the, the last game against the Twins. He was dominating. Yeah, them up like a Christmas tree. Correct. Correct. That was on – Yep. You know, eight innings, what, three hits? Yep, you something know. like that. That I mean – Shut out ball. When he's got it going, he's so fun to watch because he's just dominating – these 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 bombers. Well, well, Milwaukee is struggling hitting this year. No, this was against the Twins. This was. Against oh, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. The Twins were struggling, not Milwaukee. The no. Twins. If there's a team that's struggling worse than the Cubs, it's the Twins um, at the plate. Milwaukee is too, but not as much as the Twins. Twins are. Well, I mean, it, it, still they have a formidable hitting lineup. They really right. do, and that was evidenced by the game that they won the next night. Correct. But, Correct. Uh, but the point is, is that, you know, when he is, has got it going, it's just unbelievable that he's getting these guys out with an 87, 88 mile an hour fastball. He's just throwing it by them. Yeah. You can't believe it. You know, I, I, I just love you know, that changeup is so good, but then now he mixes in that curveball and nobody knows what to do. You know, it, yeah. it, there's a line. It's like trying to eat soup with a fork. They yeah. can't make contact. Right, right. It, it, it is, and I, I don't know what the solution is. I just know that the problem is been going on for a while. It's not something that just happened overnight. Um, so, um, well, you know, he's, he's, he, he is what he is, and, and I'm sure glad we have him. Me too. I, me what too. I worry about, I'll tell you with Hendricks, is when the playoffs come, is he going to pitch? He doesn't pitch as well on the road. Right. At Wrigley Field, he's amazing. But on the road, he struggles a little bit. So we'll see. I, what, I scare, what scares me is if Darvish has a bad first game and then Hendricks has to win in game two. That's what scares me, that proposition. Because we could get, we could get knocked out of the first series if, if something like that were to occur. So, and the reason is, is because the Cubs hitting, let's be honest, is just terrible. I went and looked at the summary of, on baseball reference page of, of all the hitting. And, and the only thing that we are first at in hitting is getting hit by a pitch. Yeah, we're great. We, 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 Nobody gets hit by pitches. We lead the league with 42 as a team. But ev literally every other category, but the one that's the biggest one, the batting average, we're 229. We're like fourth or fifth from the bottom. Yeah. And so whereas the Sox, they're like fourth or fifth from the top. Even though I can't believe that they're not number one, believe it or not, they're actually not number one. And, and then when you look at the Cubs pitching, that's what's saving them. They yep. not only are one of the best top five pitching teams from a, a rotation standpoint, which we all know, but their saves are right up there. And they're in the top two or three in saves, which in previous years, that's always been a problem for this team, that they, the saves haven't matched the, the starters. So that, they're fine. They have to get timely hitting. Hayward, you, these guys, the first five hitters in that lineup. Brian, you want a big contract next year? Here's a thought. Start hitting. Start doing, you know, the, the Cubs need to get hot offensively. If they don't, they're not long for the playoffs. Well, you know, and, and as Joe Side is, is fond of pointing out, that the Cubs, he doesn't think, be able to compete with teams like the Dodgers and so on and so forth. But that's well, because the they, they can't. Neither can the Sox, Joe. <laughs> day well, in and day out, they cannot. <laughs> but the point is, too, I mean, it's not like the Cubs are going to go, you know, not, not show up at the playoffs because they right. can't win at all. Correct. I mean, baseball, crazy things happen, you that's know? That's right. That's right. So, that's I want right. to talk about the Cleveland Indians series. It was two games this week, Wednesday. Uh, it was a uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah. And that was, I think one of the more fun series uh, all season long. 
A lot of balls were put into play. There was a lot of contact made. There were a lot of really exciting plays in the field. Javi Baez did some great stuff. The, the, the back and forth between him and Frankie Lindor, that was great. Two of the best shortstops in the game. I was yeah, talking he, to my dad about that series. You know, he watched it too. And he, he, he noticed how Hayward had thrown Lindor out at the plate on a sack fly attempt. And then later on in, in the second game, Lindor was on second base when, when somebody, I think it was Santana, hit a single to right, and then he stopped at third when, yeah. when Hayward fielded the ball. Right, right, right. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, baby. But then, but then Baez steals second. The ball goes into the outfield. He runs yeah. to third. And then, and then Will Venable kind of gives him a little, you know, just a little motion. Go yeah. on home. Go on home. Exactly. Runs home and, and and scores. That was really cool. because it was a bad throw by the by the Cleveland. It was a bad throw, but but I think Venable saw where the cutoff man was getting the ball. He's and, no a good throw. He was dead to rights, dude. If you watch it again, it, it really was. He saw how hard it would be to make a good throw from there. I think yeah. that's what I don't know. I mean, look, we're talking about a guy who went to Princeton. You know, yeah. <laughs> I was I was very excited to see Cleveland. Um, because I was hoping to see my favorite Cleveland Indians player, but he got sent down to the minors. I'm talking, of course, Alan Sim Simber, as I affectionately refer to him as Clown Shoes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We didn't get to see him pitch. We didn't get to see him pitch, but oh well. You know, but that's the way it goes, guys. So there was a delay at Wrigley Field when there was a drone. I was watching the game live, and unfortunately, I had the Cleveland broadcast on. I wasn't listening. To, I couldn't get the Marquee channel to come in, and. They first called it as a lightning strike. Did they really? Yeah, yeah, which is interesting because the cameraman clearly showed a drone above, and then they started talking about the fact, hey, can you do a drone above the stadium? No, you cannot. It's, it's, it's illegal to do it, number one. And number two, a drone of that size, as it turned out, you have to have a license to fly that drone. That's not going to Radio Shack and buying a, you know, a, a, a baby drone. This was a bigger drone. And so when it happened, it, it kind of made me think, well, you know, if that drone had a machine gun on it, you know, I started, my head started going crazy thinking about what's going on here. You can't have drones over the stadium. No, what is this, H.G. Wells? And, and, and the umpires, to their credit, cleared the field immediately. And Frankie Lindor, again, was kidding around, hiding behind the umpires. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, and uh, I mean, um, whoever owns that drone, come on. They're going to find you, by the yeah, way. Exactly. That's the other thing, too. Correct. You're they're going to find, gonna find you, you. You know, uh, I hope you have a good lawyer. That's yeah, all exactly. Exactly. Hopefully um, you don't yeah. end up in pound me in the ass prison. <laughs> now, now John Lester pitched in that series. Yeah, tough story here. I mean, he was giving up such hard contact. Guys were hitting, but they were hitting him right at people. Exactly. Hanging in there by the skin of his teeth before Ross had to finally take, you know, uh, show a little mercy and get him out of the game in the fifth inning. You know, have we seen John Lester make his last start for the Cubs? Uh Maybe at Wrigley, you know, in the regular season, yes. But yeah. he's going to pitch in the postseason. But, yeah, it could be over for him. But what did we talk about late last year? We were like, hey, how many wins does he have left in his arm? And I think that that's playing to fruition. However, as, Le as, as uh, Ross will say till the day he dies, Lester made my career. Without yeah. John Lester, I'm not the manager of this team. John Lester has meant so much to me, but he's also meant so much to the Cubs. You can make the case because when they signed him, there was a lot of people saying, 
hey, this, you know, this one testicle dude may not turn out to be very good or whatever. He's turned out to be great and a great big game pitcher. He can't throw it. He can't throw to first base. So we all know that. But but he has been a gamer at every step of the way. Not a Hall of Fame career, but a very fine career. Um, but I think if I'm Lester, I retire. And, and the reason why they're talking nostalgia, because I'll bet you he's already said he's going to. I, I don't know about that. I, I think when you're that close to a, to a milestone, like 200 wins, I think he's definitely back pitching next year. It may not be for the Cubs, because the Cubs have like, what is it? A, it's a $25 million option. Now, yeah. I don't know if they can decline the option and then maybe come to an agreement you know, where they sign him for like maybe $5 million. Um, that may be the only way he can come back with the Cubs, but I guarantee you he'll be pitching for someone somewhere so he can get that 200th win. Because that, that I mean, that's a feather in the cap. I mean, th- this is somebody who may make the Hall of Fame one day, and I think yes, that- I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I, I would be surprised based on the metrics. It's just not there. But I, 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 I wish he would. I hope him nothing but the best. But to answer your original question, I think we may have seen the last regular season start of him because if the cops cubs can exercise that option they're gonna exercise it come on i mean let's be honest they could get three pitchers for that right exactly no they're not gonna they won't be bringing him back in that way or they will bring or they'll make a negotiation with him he may say i want to stay because of ross blah 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 blah. i'm willing to pitch for five six million i would let him pitch at that amount well you know i'll just close this segment by saying to hell with stats what's important and I guess that's all the Cubs can really do right now all right so let's get to popcorn and Tom you selected the movie this week and boy did you get a great one you chose the third man directed by the great Carol Reed starring Orson Welles and Joseph Cotton and uh just a really great cast but I got to tell you um I saw this movie long long time ago my father used to run this film society back in Cincinnati. And I saw it when I was in high school and I didn't, you know, he made me go to these things and I wasn't really interested in them. Right. But, you know, I don't think your brain had the capacity to understand why, why this film is so important. But, Uh, but later on, I did read the grand greed novel, the third man, great novel. And kind of to paraphrase here, the plot, you have an American by the name of uh, Holly Martins who comes to Vienna right after world war two. And he was invited there. He's invited there by his friend, Harry Lime. And Vienna is in a state of uh, division. Post-World War II. Post-World War II, you know, there's a Russian sector, a French sector, an American sector, and a British sector. And, you know, it's very difficult to cross from one into the other, and your papers and your passports are, are really critical. And so he's invited by Lime to come there and maybe get a job for him. But when he arrives, he finds out that Lime has died. He was killed in some sort of car crash. He was hit by a car when crossing the street. And so it begins really with Harry Lime's funeral. And there are all these sinister characters at the funeral. And the rest of the movie basically is, um, is, is, is Martin's trying to figure out what happened to Harry Lime. And uh, he sort of starts asking questions and he meets all these people who knew Lime and, um, you know, and without, he, fall, he basically falls in love with Lime's girlfriend, his girlfriend, who, by the way, uh, 
She was so beautiful. She lived a long life. She she lived, lived a long be, life. What's her name again? I'm, I'm I think her, she went by a one name professionally, like Bally. Belita. Belita. Um, but whoa, she was amazing. So so this is an interesting. By the way, this is one of Roger Ebert's most uh, favorite films ever. And and if you pushed him, he might say it was his favorite films. This was one of Kurosawa's top five films. Wow. Um, that that he ever saw um it's a one of those kind of like Lawrence Arabia that it could it could never really be made again today because David Oselznik who had won an Oscar with Gone with the Wind and pushed all all the right buttons there wanted to to screw up this film every way which way that he could wanted it to be built on sets and all this and Reed insisted that they use post-World War II which had um you know, streets that still had rubble on it from from bombing raids that the 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 uh, Wehrmacht had done uh, prior in World War II, and so uh, and Reed went as far as to shoot a lot of the scenes at night and to like get the the streets glistening. They would hose it down with water. It had this noiry kind of a uh, feel to it that could never be recreated without spending a lot of money in in you know CGI and all that kind of stuff. So so there's that. But the fact of the matter is, is that um, Joseph Cotton was not the first choice. They wanted, they actually wanted Cary Grant to play this role. They wanted, uh, they wanted Cary Grant for. They wanted many actors, but but Grant was amongst those actors. They wanted uh, Jimmy Stewart. There was there was other guys that were thought of to play the Martins role, um, but uh, Orson Welles, who was only in the film for five minutes. His shooting yeah. lasted seven weeks on the film. It, 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 he was, first of all, he wouldn't do any of the sewer scenes because he thought he was going to catch disease because that's how bad they smelled. Well, they filmed most all of those shots in the, in uh, on, live on location yeah. in Vienna, and then um, Wells shot some of his scenes in Hollywood. But you know, Wells comes into this picture in the last. 10 minutes or so or so of the film and he's like a firecracker let off in the corner of the room it's just like whoa he just lights up the, the screen with his you know his little soliloquy that he that he wrote himself um uh, about uh, uh the ferris wheel about the dots on the and somebody told you that they could pay you twenty thousand pounds yeah you wrote all that stuff Gr yeah. graham even said that yeah, and so um, you had all this stuff, and Reed was constantly under pressure. And so um, then there's the issue of the third band theme, the um, the zither that was used. It's oh, interesting. God. Reed fought um, Selznick tooth and nail to say, "Hey, I, we want to use this 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 song." Um, and and uh, Selznick said, "No, they wanted a traditional thing. They fought forever. Somehow, Reed won out." And the song was released before the film came out. Late, and by the way, it, you said 47, it actually was made in 49. It was released in January of 50 when it first came out. And so um, the, uh, basically this film was, um, uh, the, the song became a hit, a massive hit. Zither. Uh, the Zither song, the third man theme, which by the way was in Cody's for years and was played at all, Late, late at night, almost every night, um, but it became this iconic song. Well, and then the film, then the film was released, and then it became a gigantic song in the United States. Well, he, he 
Reeve saw the zither player playing in the cafe in Vienna. And he's like, that, that's folklore. That's not true. Actually. Oh. He was, he was playing on, he was playing in the uh, movie studio. He was doing uh, music work for another soundtrack when he walked by and heard him and said, Whoa, what's that? Um, but that became folklore that, and, and the funny thing is Karis, the guy that played the song <clears throat> had a cafe in Vienna till the day he died. Um, that um, played the movie every night in, in the cafe. So there's all this stuff, but it's, it's, it's actually, in, it's in my top 50 films. It's not in my top 10 films, but it's in my top 50 films. I love this picture. Well, there are a couple of things that are, are important to, to, I think, point out is that every single scene, okay, every single shot is shot with a kind of intention. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We are expressing something beyond what is just heard in the dialogue. I'm glad you brought that up. When Martin shows up at the hotel, he walks underneath a ladder. Right, you know, right. It's, it's, called, it's called in the film world today, they're called oblong or Vienna shots. The, yeah. the, 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 based the, on this, right. and, and what he, what Reed did, and it pissed off directors like William Wyler, is that <clears throat> everything was askew. There was no horizontal line. Yeah. It, everything was askew. It's called the oblong shot or the Vienna shot. And Weiler said, hey, next time, just put a camera on top of the camera. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm so glad you brought that up because when you look at the film, and the reason why Reed did that was, was to create kind of a tension that the yeah. viewer is like, in knots about you know what's going on here about the fact that everything just doesn't appear as it seems you know and the other thing too i want to mention you know graham green who wrote the book upon which this movie is based you know green um if you're familiar with his work i mean i, I am i am writers. green hates americans he hated them I, I know i know as, as is evidenced in his book the quiet american and then and then in this one because in this case the american in the movie is completely naive. He has no idea what's going on. He has no idea what he, he's completely out of his depth. He has no idea. And, um, you know, everybody's just running circles around him from Harry Lime to, to, to the woman, you know, to the police officers. Uh, they just, you know, they, they've just got him over a barrel. And uh, he's probably the one person who can help the police bring Lime in but he's completely naive as to what's going on. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a commentary, I think, on the way that the Americans sort of blundered their way around Europe uh, during the Cold War. And uh, that's kind of what Green, you know, was talking about when he does this. But then I also want to mention too, um, the actor who plays the police sergeant, the British police sergeant. Yeah. Um, again, I'm forgetting his name, but he was the guy who played M in all the James Bond movies. Yes, you know? yes, yes. So. Yeah, there's, there's all these little stories within the stories. I, I would say that, you know, Wells, after this film really started to blow up and that, and oh, you know, yeah. he became, you know, basically morbidly obese. This is the last of, of Wells um, looking halfway presentable on the screen for lack of a better way of saying it. This is the last time he looked like a movie star. Correct. You know correct. If he if he ever did, by the way, he always kind of looked up close. Like, do you really belong up there? You know, he, you know, we're fooling them all, Chief. Um, but then there's Citizen Kane. But uh, you know, um, the fact is, is that 
this is a film that, like you said, you saw it when you were younger. It actually gets better. I've seen it probably five, six times now. And every time I see it, I'm like, oh, look at that. There's always, like you said, when you sent me back the notes, it's a piece of art. It's a work of it art. Is. It is a piece of art. It, it, it is a piece of art. And if you haven't seen it, you've got to see it. But the thing is, like, these days, these young people today, they have no <laughs> for the past, for the great films of the past. That's I'm right. telling you, if you're... If you've never seen this movie, freaking go to Amazon and pay the $4 to rent it because it, it is a tremendous, there are, nobody's making movies like this anymore. Nobody has the time to, to really put in the craft necessary to put something like this together. It was unbelievable. So, so what is our movie next week? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, I went with a war movie that I happened to catch uh, earlier this week. And I was thinking to myself, this would be a fun movie to talk about. I think Tom would like talking about it too. I'm going to start naming some cast members. Tell me if you can name the movie. We're going to start with Elliot Gould. And then we're going to go with... That's 22. No, Sean Connery. We're going to go with Anthony Hopkins. Rich Too Far. Boom. Boom. Rich Too Far. It's a war movie, but it has a tremendous cast. Great effort. And uh, I want to discuss for a lot of reasons. Awesome. Until next week, we are the two peas in a podcast. I'll bang the drum slowly and play the five lowly. Play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses all over my coffin. Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall.